Liverpool bought Darwin Nunes, Manchester City got a bargain in Erling Haaland. And then there's Manchester United, who today put in a bid for Marco Arnautovic. God give me strength. You're listening to the Big Kickoff Football Show. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show. After the first weekend of the 2022-23 Premier League season, and there is plenty to discuss, including with Spurs destroying Southampton, we ask who is the best front three in the Premier League. Manchester United fans suffer again with defeat to a highly organised Brighton, and Jurgen Klopp half blames the Craven Cottage pitch for the lacklustre performance, while Fulham praise it, suggesting it's the best ever condition it's been in. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com and before we discuss Manchester United's baffling transfer targets and performance at the weekend, let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur and Antonio Conte. A 4-1 drubbing over Southampton and Neil, do Spurs have the best front three in the Premier League with Kane, Son and Kulicevsky? Yeah, when you sent on the topics today, Roy, I was thinking to myself, who would I go for? Does it have to be a team, i.e. Salas, Salah, Diaz, Nunes, Harvard, Mount Sterling, or can we mix and match? No, now, I think it's not mixing and matching. It's, it's it's the front three from any team. No. Yeah, I, well, Kulisevsky is the kind of odd one out, and I don't mean any disrespect to him. I think he's in great form, and it's fantastic game the other day. He just seemed to open up that right side of the fence, the, or, sorry, the left side of the fence the whole time. Um, and he's really begun since he's come into that team um, he's really hit the ground running and he, he's looking like a real player and it, the understanding between Son and Kane has always been very good I think but Kulisevsky just seems to mix with the two of them now at the moment they've overlapping wingers which in Spurs is turning out brilliant and it's making them all look really really tasty at the moment so um I wouldn't say they're better than... I, I, I think there's better options than other teams, but at the moment, as in week one, which, you know, everything can change, I would say they are maybe in second place at the moment. Who would you have in front of them, Dave? Oh, I was going to say, well, who, who, who we got then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to see what you say, Dave, because I'm curious now. I'm sure Neil's going to join in now and, and, well, and share his... It, it, not the name for this episode this is the shoot from the hip episode because like our opinions will probably change in about five weeks time because <laughs> the first week is always a funny one so uh, whatever i say today will be the will be old news very quickly but i i'll be a little bit bold to, i agree with the front three it's very slick with spores 100%, and i'm going to be a little bit bold and the scale snappy in my chase asking i think kulishevsky has had more of an impact than ds since coming in in january i'll be mm-hmm. brutally i'll be a little bit bold to say that um, I'm not saying Diaz is way behind, but just a little bit both. So as regards, Liverpool's front three haven't really got going as of yet. And as I said, it's only the one. Um, and who it's going to be exactly is going to be hard to tell. So I suppose if he has a number two, I suppose you'd have to, for me, you'd have to go maybe potentially the City front three, who who, who still is undecided who they're going to be. I reckon Foden and Haaland is definitely two of the three. Will Grealish survive? The season remains to be seen. Um so if he doesn't have a, a number one, I, I'd be definitely intrigued to see his number one because I don't think we can choose either of Liverpool or City just yet, seeing as we don't know who the exact three is. The suspense, Neil. Tell us. Yeah, I'm going to disappoint Dave and go, yes, I am going to choose Liverpool's front three. <laughs> 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 and the reason, I tell you the reason why I'm going for them, 
it's exactly the reason I think Dave just said there about Kulisevsky. Diaz, I think he's more in form at the moment than he seems to come out of the preseason a lot faster than most of the rest. And I watched all the preseason games where I would say Kulisevsky would be maybe ahead of him is the fact that Kulisevsky seems to get more goals. Diaz is still a little bit blunt on front of goal. He he's had some good shots. He hit the bar on the weekend. But I just think that, in my opinion, I think the, the ceiling for the Nunez-Diaz-Salah uh, trio, I think is going to be huge. And I think if they can go, like the impact Nunez had coming off the bench was phenomenal. Why they didn't start him, that's maybe another question. But I would like, I, I can't wait to see what their ceiling is, i.e. you've lost Mane now. Can these other guys actually go one step further and then with Jota to come back into that scene as well? So I think the ceiling for Nunez to improve, same as Haaland, you might say, is there. But I'm really excited to see where it goes over the next couple of games. Okay, with Spurs, Dave, what did you make of them? They they didn't really play any of the new players, so it was the same team as last year. Yeah, very much so. They kind of all came on in a, in a big sport at the end. Um, not taken away from Spurs at all. Uh, incredibly sharp. We've seen the famous picture of Kane and Son kind of collapsing on the goal line when they were doing whatever shuttle runs they were doing in pre-season over in Asia. I think they were in Asia. It was America. I can't remember where they were. Um, so he's obviously run them ragged and got them fit and sharp, but Jesus, um, it was it was ominous at times, and it got to the point where it was like, um, it just just call the game off. It was just uh, men against boys at one point. It was just the one thing I noticed the most, uh, uh, and, and I'm being nice here because I don't want to single anyone out, but between the midfield and forward line, it was just so easy to get at the Southampton defence, and. They just put so much pressure on them and unfortunately they crumbled because obviously I was watching it quite closely because of our own Gavin Bazunu in goal and you were hoping he'd have it. one of those games where he was able to keep everything at bay but he had no hope. It was just too easy and it wasn't just down wide. It was straight through the middle between Lavia, Ward-Prowse and Romeo. Uh, Romeo, I always say Romeo, Romeo. They just couldn't put a, put a hand on any of the, 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 the counter-attacks or the transition of play from defence to attack from scores. They just don't have the legs and they need to get some energy in there fast. And between and the front line as well. So defending from the midfield and defence was really poor and it was an easy one for, for Spurs. But that's not to take away from Spurs. They were phenomenal, very sharp and definitely looked like they had the bit between their teeth. And they could be the best of the rest. Uh, as I said, this is the first week, so it could change very rapid. But at the moment, you'd, you'd be confident that they could be the best of the rest to, to maybe break the mould of the, the top two. And we had a conversation, Dave, before about the Fancy Football League. We talked about James Ward Prowse and he went and scored, scored the first goal. I said, God, this yeah, could... Look, but uh, that, that's as good as Southampton go. Yeah. No, like, as I said, I wasn't... Tr- I'm not trying to pick on him, but because, to be honest, I think, as I said to you, to you guys, I'm not necessarily against him. I just don't know if he's a good enough midfielder. The type of player that he is, he probably needs to be with a better side in order to really see his class because, as I said, that midfield three and the front three were shocking. They just couldn't get at them and considering how it looked and the goals I think it's over 34 35 goals in the last 7 or 8 games in the league last year and conceded 4 on, on Saturday it, it, you know Southampton uh, for me are going to be unfortunately down the wrong side of the, the table than, than, than they want that's for sure Yeah absolutely Manchester United started off their season with performance and a result that mirrored last season perfectly Dave the worry now is not so much the result but the plan being put in place to address this is the bids for Marco Anoutovic and Adrian Rabo? Surely these are the wrong players for the club. Yeah, like you could probably put an argument up for Rabio maybe because 
the poor old McFred, whether you, whether you hate Fred or whether you hate McTominay, it's every other minute it changed with the United fans at the moment and my mates that are always going on about it. Um, he may be an upgrade on them, but for I think anyone who really sits back, is he really a huge upgrade? If just much of the same, I don't know. Like he moved on from PSG to, to Juve for the last three seasons and they're probably Juve's poorer season. So I, like, has he really helped? And obviously he's been moved on now for Pogba. And Pogba is kind of like you know, almost like a United reject. So they're swapping. Is it a like for like? Or like it's a hard one to get. But the Anatovic one really does smack of what the hell is going on. Is this as good? Is this as good as United are? Or is the talent pool that dry? It's worrying. Um, and then of course the performance wasn't much different. So I know they missed a few players who would have played a lot of preseason, but. Um, I stayed quiet yesterday. I I just I left them stew on their own kind of bitchiness on the on the WhatsApp group. It was, there was there was no point in getting involved. You know they're doing their own damage, in my opinion. Just on them two potential signings, Dave. It's not so much mm. what them players can offer, but it's more their personalities. When I look at those personalities, yeah. I see stroppiness in both of them, and that's what mm. has happened with with them at with PSG and. And West Ham and what, yeah. what what have you? There has been that stroppiness about them. I'm not sure that they're the right personalities to be bringing into a club where you're looking to get stability. Many percent, and and that's why it, it, it it's hard to try and muster up a a clever response to at, at least try and clutch at a straw of why you might bring them in. And um, and as I said, Rabio, you could really maybe clutch at a straw, but as far as Elvich, there's just nothing. Nothing convinces me. Um, well, I'd gladly humble pie, but I'd be shocked if I would. Because I just don't get it. Um, he, I usually use the term one and five or one. Like he could be a one and ten, and when he's good, he's exceptionally good. But as I said, it's one and ten at best, and he's a very poor man's Ibrahimovic. And I don't even want to put him in that same bracket. But he has that kind of a vibe off him, but not even close to him. And you're not going to get that kind of level off him. And apparently, they still seem confident to buy him today, even though the bid of seven point odd was rejected. So. If this has legs and it's very surprising and there has to be more out there and the guy Sesco looks like he's gone from little brother to big brother from Salzburg to Leipzig now so another failed attempt at a player and the, the talk is that if Barcelona can somehow make the money go through the laundry system uh, Frankie de Jong seems quite happy to stay yeah, that's a whole different story with Barcelona. I think they're, they're <laughs> I think they're looking to sell another half of their rights in the, the yeah. yeah I'm, that they're they're in trouble. I don't know what way they're going to get around that. It's going to catch yeah. up in them eventually. Anyhow, McTominay and Fred are easy targets, Neil, but they're targets nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not only them that showed that this United team, like Randnick suggested, needs a huge changing of the guard, don't they? Yeah, I, I think that. You know, he tried. Well, I'd say he addressed it in the second half, where obviously he he pivoted away from Fred McTominay holding, and he you know he he released Donny Van de Beek in the middle. Uh, he changed Fernandez out there, so I, I believe he's aware that he has to do it. Um, I, what was very interesting was in the weekend that, that someone made a comment that McTominay was over carrying the ball. Now I didn't see the first half live, but I caught the highlights of it. And it was very apparent that he was overcarrying the ball and he was trying to dribble past people. This all comes from the new, you know, director from the coach. We want you playing out from the back. We want you more comfortable. Maybe it's the Dutch, uh, the Dutch man rubbing off him a little bit here saying you're, you're a better player than you are. But it was McTominay's fault, I would say, for the first goal that he gave the ball away in the middle. But he was overcarrying an awful lot. He was getting involved in late challenges, real clumsy challenges. Paul Scholes ripped him a new one purely because he was saying the be- the weakest players in the team 
their job is to give the ball to the strongest players in the team. And you can't argue with that. Like, why McTominay is thinking, I'm in a better position here than Christian Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes in order to open up a defence is baffling. And that's something that the manager's going to have to sort out quick, smart. They are an easy target, I will say, sometimes. Like, if you look at the, the goal where Fred tracked all the way back, he was the one to track back, where it was a Dallow was caught in the halfway line kicking his heels. So I have a little bit of sympathy with them at times. But at the end of the day, Ryan, you've got to think of it like this. They wouldn't get into Chelsea. They wouldn't get into City. They wouldn't get into Liverpool. They wouldn't even get into Spurs, Arsenal. I don't know where they'd fit Neil, in. Yeah, they wouldn't get, in, they wouldn't get into Brighton. That's the, that's the, the perfect situation. <laughs> well, sure. You know, you looked at well, that game. They definitely wouldn't get into it. The biggest thing that I seen, Neil, was the shape. You look at Brighton. They all work together. They're going forward, pressing. The pressing was immaculate. But when they were in their group of 4-5-1 or 5-4-1 which it kind of finished off with every time Manchester United got the ball there was a player pressing the ball they never gave them a second even up at their own halfway line pressing them and making them uncomfortable Manchester United when they retreated backwards the wingers went and come back Rashford and Sancho those huge gaps down the side it's just Neil it's a little bit worrying for Manchester United because this is something that they've seen for years and years now it's the if, for me. It's the wrong personal personalities they have on the pitch who don't seem to want to work back. If it's the coach, it's the last four or five coaches. I just don't see the work rate in this team. Yeah, I mean, if Ten Hag hasn't learned right from the game, I mean, he'll never learn. I don't think he would have seen a whole lot preseason that would have worried him, but I would say that really worried him what he's seen over the weekend. I mean, I'm looking at the team sheet now, and other than Christian Eriksen in there, it's more or less the same identity of the team last year. Uh, Martinez obviously at the back uh, he needs to bring in and it's easy to say he needs to bring it in they need without a shadow of a doubt to bring in some leaders into that team interestingly again you've got Christian Ronaldo uh, and you've got Varane sitting on the bench and you think to yourself there's the two of them have won absolutely everything in the game and there they are you're, you're what you would look for natural born leaders one of them is cribbing and wants to get out of the club and one of them can't get in ahead of Harry Maguire and that's another massive alarm for me but the midfield to forward other than Christian Eriksen is samey samey to last year and now we're going to see Ten Hag earn them, uh, the manager's badges here the coach's badges because he needs to integrate new midfielders or he needs to buy new midfielders uh, and integrate them into that side ASAP Absolutely, I think Ericsson was the only shining light. I thought he looked really, really good on the pitch. But again, you can't make a team out of one or two or three players. Now, we will have a look at Erling Haaland because how could you not have a look at Erling Haaland? But first, on midday on Saturday, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool faced Fulham in London and the German manager made his feelings known after the game that he felt that the partial blame for not claiming those three points where the pitch was dry and all that. Earlier before kickoff, Fulham's social media displayed the image of a lush Craven Cottage pitch in the middle of a heavy sprinkling from their sprinkler system. Neil, was the pitch to blame or is this just pure frustration from Klopp? Uh, this is a Klopp, uh, proper Klopp, you know, 101. I'll blame something or other, be it the clouds, be it the sky, be it whatever <laughs> he wants to blame. Look, the team just got caught on the hop by Fulham who came out of the traps, paid Liverpool no respect. It was a typical, typical 
first game of the season game where they, everyone could win the league on the first day. Fulham thought they could do it and they went out and they really did a number on Liverpool. They got in their faces. They didn't give them respect. They didn't sit back. They attacked them from the outset. They were chasing them down in fours and fives. It was everything that Klopp did not want and Liverpool did not want. And even Virgil van Dijk, who was absolutely immaculate from his hairdo to his strike of a left foot, even he was put out of sync on the weekend and he looked really, really uncomfortable in dealing with Mitrovic because Mitrovic just bossed him at times. And how many times have we ever said that in the last few years? So it was a 100% excuse. He can blame a little bit on the pitch for the ball not running from time to time, but you can't blame the pitch for the player's effort, for the closing down, for all the little things that add up to results. And Fulham probably deserved to edge it. As I said earlier on, probably the introduction then of Nunez kind of turned the tide a little bit for Liverpool. But Liverpool got away with one there. And if anything, Klopp should have just come out and said, I'm glad to get out of here with me skin and one point and we'll take it and we'll move on. Mitrovic scored well over 40 goals in the Championship. Some suggested that he can't do it in the Premiership or just doesn't do it in the Premiership, which is uh, probably correct. But Dave, he is a quality player and with the right team, he will score goals. 100% and... He's got the know-how of the striker. Look what he did for both the first goal and the penalty. You know, every everyone in the mother knows, you know, if you can pick on the fullback, you're laughing. And once once he got the right ball, it was, I'm sure his eyes lit up. And then the second, just waiting and waiting and did just got away from Van Dyke enough. And once the leg was out, and it, it's not a dive, right? Like that was a penalty. But he's just, you know what he's like. He's one of those clever players. He's of that age and uh, a fantastic display from but I just want to go back a little bit, just for a split second, to what you're going on about the pitch. I think the media missed, dropped the ball here because there was a bigger story in what he said when he talked about the player's attitude. Now, maybe he glossed over it quite quick. But if any, anyone worth their salt should have jumped on that straight away and said, what do you mean? Like, you know, you were fairly flawless the week before. Are you, are you getting a bit too big time or something you could be asking? Now, I know that's a bit of shit story and you don't expect it to be, but Klopp makes excuses since day one, but apparently it's only in the last two or three years he's been doing it. He's doing it since the first day he walked in. He's been doing it with Dortmund, he's well known to be feisty with the fourth official. So for him to come out with the whole pitch reaction, it's not surprising. But he mentioned the attitude and that too with the players and he questioned it. And no one, they let that go. And it's like, well, I wouldn't have let that go. Or that, that's a typical reaction out of Klopp over the last couple of years and since he first came in. And so what? It, it could be maybe he let it, he let it, I think he let his mask down a little bit when he questioned it because to be honest, Liverpool got out Liverpool by full up. They were superb. And it was definitely a point gain instead of a two-point drop for Liverpool to, to, to perform. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's my take on it. Just to, and what uh, about, Dave, what about Thiago? Thiago's had a little bit of a knock. If he's out for mm-hmm. a while, are Liverpool struggling in that midfield area a little bit just to ah, invent? Yeah. They were struggling last year as well, I mean, yeah. 100% they were struggling even last year. Um, like, Thiago's a good player when they own the ball, um, of which that happens to be a lot. So that's why having him there is massive we never replace Wijnaldum we don't have that energy in the midfield the way we used to like Fabinho still is the master for breaking things down and reading the game and getting there before the kind of counter-attack kicks off but Henderson is getting to that stage of his career where he can't cover the ground that he used to um, regardless what people think of him he is an incredible engine but it happens to the best of them eventually slowly but surely the engine does deplete and you have to kind of sit back deeper and deeper and Thiago is there for what he can do on the ball and when Liverpool own it. So we need that energy in that midfield. There is that position. I'm not saying Henderson has to go. I'm just saying he can't survive the 90 or 
when we're coming up against the big boys, it's no surprise that we drew every game. We didn't beat any of the big four. Well, I say big four, the teams who got into Champions League. We didn't beat any of them because we struggled in the midfield battle. Um, we, I, I still think if we had bought somebody with that real engine to cover most of the pitch, I'd, I'd have probably flown for Liverpool this year to win the league over, over City, to, to tell you the truth. Okay. Well, what Sunday's 4 p.m., 4.30 p.m. kickoff taught us was that Erling Haaland is an absolute beast. Dave, it's not what we didn't know. We knew this already, but seeing how he operates, he uses his power, his pace, and then topping that off with clinical finishing, it begs the question, is this the final piece of the puzzle in Pep's Champions League assault? Um, You would be very... I'd be very close to saying 100% yes, but if it isn't, I don't know what else he can do. If you know what I mean, that's probably the, my yeah. best answer to it. I really don't know what else he can do. If this doesn't work, Jesus, Pep could be driven mad uh, <laughs> with, with a tactics board over next summer going, where am I going to go <laughs> if this doesn't work? He looks, uh, listen, the guy knows how to pull the ball in the back of the net. Their average uh, uh, possession last year was like 68 point something percent, nearly 69%, and it was 75 yesterday. And they create something like 14 or 15 chances, which is roughly around their average. If he gets about a third of them again, he's going to get four or five chances. You can only imagine what he can maybe get this season. And his numbers have been impressive with Dortmund. They could be just as impressive with uh, City, the way they can put them on a on a plate for some players. Like So when they really all click together and start to get going, and Foden's obviously going to be more and more in the team now, the fact that with the preseason being a bit, scupper, uh, a bit, bit um, topsy-turvy, who knows where he's going to go? Um, like I had a quick look today, the, the twenty goal mark is the, is the main benchmark for Premier League strikers because there's been many a season where no one, no top scorer has broken the twenty mark. But it's been broken nine times the thirty goal mark, and only one person has broken more than once, and that's Shearer. He did it three times. A few others have all broken it just the once. Like this guy could easily potentially get at that record if he sticks around long enough and the way City can play. That's that's his potential. Um, because he obviously looks like he knows how to put the ball in the back, back in the, the way we expected him to. But with this with, with this side, and if they can keep doing what they're doing, and with De Bruyne, the way he can put it on a sixpence, uh, he, he could have a very fruitful career with Man City. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, definitely the worst is either. Yeah, definitely with Phil Foden around, Kevin De Bruyne, even Gundogan. Mm. Neil, this could be the Jack Grealish watch every week, but what did you make of Jack Grealish again? <laughs> <laughs> very deflated around his performance again he's I, I think he was a little bit better he might have nearly got by one person I, I'm just very disappointed in how he's performing I see yeah I just listened to Dave talk there about Haaland and I was thinking maybe it won't be down to Haaland whether or not City you know break their Champions League duck and whether they go on maybe it's down to the bit part players which is He's after letting go of Sterling and Jesus, and he's you know he's trusted on the weekend at least Jack Grealish and Phil Foden. Now obviously it's Mares to go in there as well, and Bernardo Silva probably on the way as well, Neil. And Bernardo still there, and he could go. And I tell you, I, at the moment I wouldn't be letting go of Bernardo. I thought he was really impressive even against Liverpool in the Champions League when he was actually playing in beside Rodri as a two. But I would be thinking keep him and like and, and Grealish is kind of the odd one out at the moment. And look. It's like the elephant in the room and the English don't really give it any coverage because he's English but at the end of the day he is the one that's struggling. If you look at that first 11 even Nathan Ake had a contribution in the weekend and he'd be their poorest centre-back even he was decent uh, as far as defensive-wise goes 
But like you've lost Sterling and Jesus, and Jesus will really give you something going forward in every game. Be it just physicality, he is to give to City. Sterling was, you know, regardless of what people think, his goal scoring record was really good. And Sterling had a little aspect of greediness about him when he got in that final third. If the ball was put in front of him, he was taking on a player or two and he was having a crack. Grealish just doesn't seem to have that level I, I we we've mentioned it before is it confidence is it the manager's backing is it self belief i don't know what it is but it's definitely holding him back in going on to that next level it's almost like he's overawed he's gone into a situation yeah. where he's looking at these guys in the dressing room oh i'll play the safe pass back to Gundogan or Rodri you know I'll put in Hallen in on goal rather than take on that player and go with him with gusto and make my name so he's lacking something and we said it last week and maybe we'll be saying it for a couple of weeks I'd love to get inside Pep's brain to see what his instruction is to Grealish is it Pep that's making him a safe player or is it Grealish that doesn't have the self-confidence to do it Dave are Man City going to change their game a little bit with Hallen there because they don't have the pace either side of them. They've got Phil Foden there. They've got Jack Grealish there. It's not huge pace like they had with Sterling. So there was a, there was an out ball there, albeit they used to have Aguero yeah. up front. But Aguero was in the right positions all the time. But is this going to be? Um, is he going to be the focal point? His sheer presence alone will, will mean he will be. But at the same time, I think the whole pace isn't as important for City with the fact that how people kind of play against them. Uh, like at one point yesterday it was up to beyond 85% but I think they ended up at 75% for the 90 minutes so more often than not West Ham are going to be sitting deep just like the majority of teams are so having that pace to go on 30-40 yards runs over the top isn't really going to happen all that much apart from if Ederson hits a big one over the top for Haaland from point to time because they won't they won't need to have trade them I just don't think they'll get to counter-attack or they don't get the opportunity to counter-attack the way other teams can because so many teams are so weary of Man City and how they play and they hang deep in order to try and stop them from getting into the byline and then pulling pulling balls back for tap-ins and stuff like that. So there might be a slight change. I think what I think where they might change more so, not necessarily in the league, but this whole Calvin Phillips thing, I don't think he's bought just to be a number two uh, to Rodri. I, I think there might be a bit of a switch in in terms of maybe in Europe with with with, with him and Rodri and and then give him more freedom for the forward lines to do a little bit more on the attacking side of things and have the two guys sitting in to protect the back line a little bit better. Um, so it might be more in Europe they might change a little bit, but I think in in, in the Premier League it'll be much of the same. But obviously you can't help but look at Haaland as focal point, like the, the sheer size of him and the fact that he is going to be potentially a goal, goal scoring machine. It's inevitable that he will be, but I just don't think the pace is quite as important for City as it is others. Yep. Neil, Arsenal and Crystal Palace played out in the first game on Friday night. Are Arsenal worth a few quid on getting, well, top four? Well, they're after recruiting really, really well. Um, they bought Saliva back. I think he was on the, he was on a loan last year. So they've, they've, they've really recruited smartly. I think Jesus was what we would have all thought not the final piece of the puzzle, but something that definitely Arsenal were missing. They needed that focal point. You know, Abbeyang was in there and, and didn't want to be there and fell out and that kind of dragged on. Lacazette was getting older and didn't have the same kind of engine up front, although he was committed. So they seem to have a good front three now with Saka, Jesus and Martinelli and it, it looks good and they've Smith Rowe in there as well. So all of a sudden, 
the, the team that Arteta has taken a year or two to build is beginning to take shape. Zinchenko was another really, really clever boy for left full because he can also play left-sided and middle. Uh, the Gabriel Ben Whiting we were saying last year, he's now got three centre-backs that look well, well capable. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm not saying they're going to make an assault on the, the top one, top two. But I definitely think they'll push closer now on the four play. So whereas last year where they really fell over badly and they let themselves down in the in the chase for the top four when they were neck and neck with Spurs and they were in pole position, I couldn't see that looking forward now, albeit after one whole game. Uh, I can't see that them that Arsenal were going to make the same mistake. So they've recruited well and I think they're going to do well out of that. Yeah, just coming through there, Connor Cody has joined Everton, Dave. Nathan mm. Collins took a spot, which is great for the Republic of Ireland. He's obviously mm. being pushed out. Uh, is this a good purchase now for Everton? They seem to be getting, I suppose, fringe players from other Premier League teams. Yeah, like, it's a great ball of confidence for Nathan Collins, that's for sure it was. With Conor Cody, like, he was part of a back four that were miserly last year. They gave very little away and had one of the best defences in the league, so... Um, I, I'm sure you might feel a bit aggrieved being probably club captain and, and all of a sudden yeah you're probably the weak link and I want to improve the team even though the defence has been so good so I wouldn't write him off just yet he's a local lad obviously he's a Liverpool boy originally but you know he seems to be an all round good professional most most guys seem to like him and he comes across quite well obviously with Tarkovsky there there's plenty more of experience there because Yuri Mina I just think he's always a bit of a ticking time bomb and keen yeah, he's been there long enough, so maybe it just needs a bit of a, a bit of a refresh across the back line. So it won't excite me to make bold statements about Everton, but you know, a solid enough signing. But is that going to make them get up the, the higher the table? Maybe not, but it might just make them a little. But you, harder you, fe- you feel it's better than what they have. Potentially, yeah, I think so, and you never know with Tarkovsky in there as well. It could be just a what they need to kind of upset because the fact that they've been making goals left, right and centre last year and even the the, what's it, the United game when Keane got the feet stuck and stuff like that like when they were like they, I think they've struggled in their back line regardless of where every, every, the problems they have elsewhere so he obviously sees that potential problem as well and it's just trying to he's probably just trying to solidify this point Yeah Neil Barmot beat Villa 2-0 Newcastle United beat Not Forest 2-0 Chelsea beat Everton won nil, and we had a two-all draw between Leicester and Brentford. What stood out for you in those games? Uh, the, new, the Newcastle game, I, I, I caught quite a good bit of now, and I think they're they're looking uh, they're looking good. They're after adding signings. There's listen since last year, since Eddie Howe, you know they're after lighting the touch paper now. They're on a high, and you can see things happening at that club. They're just again they're getting the signings correct. But Newcastle, if you went back two years ago, were just toothless up front. They used to sit back. I mean, if there was ever going to sum up the way Newcastle are playing at the moment, Joe Linton, you know, has rediscovered the Brazilian in the Brazilian. Like, I I was watching him take players on, dropping the shoulder, getting shots off since he's moved into that position. And that's an Eddie Howe-made position. No one's seen him playing there in the midfield. He's absolutely been fantastic. So they're on the up and up, and it'll be exciting to see where they end up in the latter half. The rest of them, you know, you need another week or two. Leicester blew a lead. That was a terrible way to go. You know, you're playing at home, you're winning 2-0. They should have seen it out. So we get to see them over another couple of games. They obviously haven't signed anybody, which is a bit of a red flag as well for them. But uh, for me, yeah, Newcastle would have stand out with the weekend. And for you, Dave, Chelsea got the win under the belt. They've kind of not really been talked about. 
No, not really. And it was a very unassuming win, nothing too crazy. But it's been a funny old pre-season and I kind of hold back on them because obviously competition for the top four, I, I presume everyone's going to agree that Liverpool and, and City are going to be up there and it's a, it's a decent battle now for those other two spots and I, Chelsea are going to be right bang in the middle of it. Have they been kind of overtaken by Spurs or Arsenal? Yes, that remains to be seen. But they got the job done. There's obviously been a few changes with the team and people that go and Werner looks like it's pretty much done and dusted where he's going back to Salzburg for 20-odd million. So, obviously, the starting 11 is still not going to be decided who they are as of yet. And plus, are they going to try and get somebody else in themselves? So, we'll wait and see. It was just nice to see one or two of the boys that uh, Jesse Marsh brought in because I think a lot of people were kind of ready out and waiting with the knife sharpened to, to stick into him. So a good comeback win and Aronson performing quite well, which is one of his guys. And he brought in a few from the Red Bull Academy side of things. So I suppose that was a little interesting and maybe there might be a bit more in Leeds than what maybe even Leeds fans thought, let alone uh, people from outside. Okay, we're going to finish off with our question of the week and it's, it's not a nice question, really, when you're a football manager. But Neil, we go with it anyhow. Who do we think is going to struggle and could be the first casualty when it comes to a manager this season? I think, Roy, it's going to be a two-horse race for the first second. And it's Ralph off Southampton versus Lampard off Everton for me. Uh, neither of which have really hit the ground running. I just... Lampard is in a horrible situation now where they're after selling Richarlison and they don't have a fit striker. I think they're going to struggle scoring goals and I think the pressure is going to build on him if he can't accumulate points. And uh, Southampton just seem to be continuing where they were last year where they were in a bit of a mire since the Christmas period. They really are struggling. And I even listened to um, the, the interview after the match on the weekend where the manager said that he was trying to rectify by playing five at the back, that they were conceding too many goals. It was almost like he was trying to talk himself into being more defensive. And Southampton, for me, are in big, big trouble with their lack of quality. They haven't uh, they haven't accumulated any extra players. It's going to change my mind on that. So I think it's between them two. Could you add anyone to that, Dave? Oh, I'll have the red target on me here because the Scouts Mafia might be too happy, but I'd say a certain Steve Jarrett will be in about the spot of bother. That was not a good uh, good result at the weekend. There's potentially a bit of turmoil there, you know. He has he seems to have gone for Ings over Watkins. He doesn't seem to be too happy with the two of them up front. Swift uh Ings in the captaincy and drops him. You know, it could split the camp a little bit and they might be as harmonious as he wants to be. So, you know, there might be a bit of um like yeah, a, a unity might be like it might be a few little splits in the camp, and it might be hard to keep that ship going. And uh, Villa, he could be in. Tr- he, he, I I I wouldn't have him fire off the top. That's for sure. Yeah, well, Stephen Gerrard is thirteen to one. He is seventh favorite to get the the chop. Neil, you must have been looking at the odds earlier. Frank Lampard four to one, then Ralph, Ralph is <laughs> is nine to two, and Brendan Rodgers would have won. That I'd be kind of looking at because again they haven't got the players in unless they're going to give them that little bit of wriggle room because they haven't got any players in and they're letting players go. Maybe they will, but after the success they've had, I, I just don't know if they'll have that much wiggle room. And if he drops 
Uh, it could very well go against Brendan, uh, maybe not because of himself, really. OK, listen, we're going to leave it there. Neil and Dave, thanks very much. And for you listening to uh, to us, Three Egypts, talking about football, we're absolutely delighted that you do. If you have an opinion, throw it into the Big Kickoff 96.4gmail.com or any of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever else. Uh, what's the other one? Instagram. Go for that one as well. OK, talk to you <laughs> next week.